This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Good morning. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, 16 through 19, and 21 through 23. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard... His wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and so dust you will return. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I am Pastor Erica, and I am one of the staff pastors here at Community Covenant. And we are in a series, this, uh, this Lent series called The Story We Find Ourselves In, connecting our story with the story of God. Now, last week, Pastor Brad, who, by the way, right now, probably at this moment, is in some bungalow in Hawaii, um, listening to the waves, the cool breeze through his flowing locks that he's growing out now. And I'm sure he's praying for us. I hope he's praying for us, because right now I find sin in my heart towards him (laughs) but um, as we go through this series last week he started off 
just with an introduction about creation. What the story is, how the story started in Genesis. And as we were talking through this, um, a couple weeks ago, I was in his office and I said, okay, so what are we supposed to do? And he said, well, you know, I'm going to start you off. We're going to talk about creation, talk about God's story. And, uh, and then uh, you get to talk about sin. And you better get it right, because if we don't get that piece, then the whole Easter piece doesn't work. So I'm thinking, great, okay. So there's just a little tiny bit of pressure here. So as I'm looking through the first, the first two, three chapters of Genesis, I was really thinking about how many times I have heard either pastors preach or teachers teach or books that have been written or tracts, gospel tracts that have been laid out to talk about creation, that moment of perfection where God said everything was good, everything was very good, and then, boom, the bottom falls out. And as I was looking at these passages, I was thinking about all of the information that I have in my head about these passages. All of the different interpretations, all of the ways that these, that, that especially chapter 3 have been taken apart and put back together and delved in deeply. And I thought to myself, what do I have to say that hasn't already been said? And I kind of went, I, I went to the Lord with that. And I said, Lord, what do I have to say that has already been said by some great biblical scholar, by some great pastor or teacher over the past however many thousands of years? And I felt this sense of him saying, take a step back. Look at this like it's the very first time that you've heard this story, that you've read through this narrative, and if you do that, you will see something new. So this morning I'm going to ask you all, if you would just bow your heads and pray with me, because I'm sure there are a lot of us who have heard this story over and over again. We're familiar with the sin. We're familiar with the fall. But I have a sense that today... God wants to show you an aspect of his grace and his mercy that you have not seen before. So I would like to, in faith, pray for us that the Holy Spirit would give us that opportunity. So would you pray with me, please? Father, you are good. Your word shows us over and over again how good you are. And Lord, we need to once again be reminded of your goodness. Not just to see our brokenness, but to see your goodness, Lord. So would you, this morning, give us new and fresh eyes to hear this story. To hear the truth of this story in our own lives. To see ourselves clearly and to see you clearly in the midst of this. 
And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to actually back up a little bit. And if you have your Bible in whatever form it is, whether it's the old-fashioned paper Bible, I know some of this is probably archived for you guys, Um, the paper Bible, if you have your iPhone or your iPad or whatever, I'm going to actually go through verses this morning, and it would really be helpful if you could follow along. I'm actually going to back up a little bit, and I'm going to look at something that happened in verse 2. This is a... Excuse me. This is a time where God has, is, has laid everything out. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, and he's addressing Adam. And so in verses, I want to bring your attention to verses 2.16 and 2.17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. God was laying out a very clear boundary for Adam. And in a lot of ways... The creation story, the first two chapters, are really about the abundance of God and then the boundaries with which he lays out and he says, but in order for you to be safe, in order for you to be okay, you can't do this one thing. In essence, God is saying, I'm giving you everything except for this one thing. And the truth that we all have to admit to is that there is something in the human heart that hates boundaries. And I don't think, I think it's very obvious in the scripture that it's not even, that it's post-fall that we hate boundaries. Obviously there was something in, in Eve's heart that was happening that she didn't like that boundary. She was willing to question the boundary. So I was thinking about this yesterday, and I was wondering, I was thinking about a story, and I was like, what, where is it in my life where I can think of that I violated a boundary? There's lots of them, so I'm going to give you one from way back so that it sounds a lot less bad. <laughs> but actually, no, this is a really hilarious story um, that uh, I was, when I was about five, uh, I developed pneumonia. And I know that for some of you it's going to be hard to believe that I was actually a really rambunctious child um, and I was a very active child. And when I was diagnosed with pneumonia, my parents were given the instructions that they had to keep me still and quiet for the entire summer. And I remember this summer just being like, in fact, in my memory, it's, it's of being in a little dark room. And, and whether that's reality or that's just the way that my mind was interpreting it, I don't, I'm not sure. But that next fall, I entered into first grade. 
And one of the things that they were concerned about was my breathing capacity. And so they set some boundaries around me so that I wouldn't have more issues with the pneumonia. One of the boundaries was that I had to sit out at recess. The second boundary was that I could only have ice cream from the school store once a week. Well, all of my classmates, not only did they get to play outside, but they got ice cream from the school store every day. So in my five in my five year old little mind, I'm thinking this is not fair. What what makes them so special that they get to do this and I don't? And every week, every Monday morning, my mother would give me a check. I know that's another ancient thing. Some of you probably don't even know what that is either. She would give me a check, and the check paid for my lunch for one week and one day of ice cream, which, by the way, at that time was 15 cents. Um, And so my last name started with S, and the teacher would call us up by our last names to tell her what our lunch plan was for the week. And so I sat in the back, and there were lots of kids that were before me, and I cooked up a plan. And I looked at the check, and I thought to myself, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to get myself ice cream every day. And this just stirred in my head. And I finally thought, I know. I'm going to go up, and I'm going to tell her, that this is for a month of ice cream and one day of lunch. Because I knew I needed lunch that day. I figured I can cover the rest. I'll figure it out. Something will come up. I'll do, I can do this. And so she calls my name and I walked up there. And I really, I'm, I'm sure some, all of you have probably had these moments where if somebody looked at you, you could probably see your heart pumping out of your chest And it was the longest walk I think I'd ever taken from the back of the classroom all the way to the front. And I very confidently walked up there and I slapped my check down and I said, this is for a month of ice cream and a day of lunch. And she looked at me and she said, are you sure? And I said, "Uh uh-huh. And she said, okay, tell me one more time. And I said, uh, for a month of ice cream and a day of lunch. And my confidence, of course, was shrinking. And she said, is that what your mom told you? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Go ahead and go sit down. And... I ran to my desk and I sat down. And, you know, here's the, the, the funny part. I don't remember having ice cream that day. I don't remember eating lunch that day. I remember being very, having this one tiny moment of satisfaction probably halfway to my desk and then waiting and waiting and waiting to get 
caught. And it didn't happen at school. I got lunch. I had my ice cream. I went home. And there was this sense of maybe I actually got away with this. Maybe I'm not going to be in trouble. And what happened was that the phone rang. I went to answer the phone. Hello? Hi, Erica. This is Mrs. Shob. Can I talk to your mom or dad? Thump. Mom! Dropped the phone, ran, and hid. So turn with me to verses, to chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Immediately they knew that they had done something wrong. There was this moment where there was this desire. Wait a minute. This looks really good. I think I could get away with this. I think I can make this happen. How many of us have been in those situations before? whether they are little indiscretions or they are big moments. Here's an interesting thing about sin sin and its consequences. In this particular narrative, the first moment, the first rupture, the first break that happens interestingly enough, actually happens within both Adam and Eve. Before God even shows up on the scene, immediately when they do something to break the boundary, they know within themselves that something has gone wrong. And in a lot of, in, in culture, in the world, people call it the little small voice, the intuition, your gut, the thing that tells you in that moment, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't make that decision. Don't walk into that place. It was that moment that broke their relationship with themselves. The human beings were created in God's image. He just stated that in the previous chapter. And what happened in that moment was that got broken and their true identity suddenly became marred with shame and guilt. 
And the first thing that they wanted to do was cover. They covered it with fig leaves. They sewed them together. I'm thinking, how did that work? But we all do it in different ways. What are the ways that you cover up your sin to yourself? How do you justify your shame or your guilt in the big things or the little things? Well, I had to say that kind of halfway um, lie because if not, I might lose my job get in trouble. My wife might be mad at me. My kids might find out I'm not as stand up as they thought I was. The next thing that we see is their relationship with one another get broken. Because their eyes were opened, they are filled with shame and guilt and then they look at each other and they go, where did that come from? What happened there? Look at me. Look at you. Ah! This is one of these places where people have dug really deep into Scripture and tried to figure out exactly what happened, and they've talked about the physical nakedness, and they've talked about all kinds of things. But the truth is, no matter how theologically you break this down, that broke their perfect relationship with one another. All of a sudden, there was something that they saw in one another, and they didn't want to see it. Whether that was their physical body, whether that was something that was happening between them, their relationship was now not what it once was. And I think that we, ought, we have to be very, very careful, especially in the church, to not just look at that strictly from a marriage relationship standpoint. We are all broken in the way that we relate to each other. In families, in marriages, parents to children, children to parents, co-workers, friends, our relationship in that moment, our ability to relate to one another was broken. And then God walks in. The primary relationship that we are supposed to have is with God. And God said, if you do this, one thing, if you, if you eat from this tree, then this is going to get Broken. Something is going to happen. You will die. And in some ways, as I read this, as I reread this, and I encourage you this week to reread this and almost hear God's pleading voice. Those of you who are parents, read it the way that you would warn your child not to stick the keys into an electrical socket. Honey, please don't do that. Something really bad will happen to you when you do that. In essence, that's what God was saying when he set that boundary up for them. And when he went looking for them, and he said, where are you? He knew what had happened. And he wanted them to have a different response. But because their relationship with him had been broken and they suddenly misunderstood who God was... 
They no longer, because they were looking at him with the covering of, sh- of shame and guilt, they could no longer see God as gracious and loving and merciful. Their vision of him had become marred by the sin that they had committed. And now there was just fear. And they wanted to hide. The same way that when I answered that phone call, I went and hid under my bed. (laughs) Now, I don't think, I don't know what kind of protection I thought I would have gained from that, but somehow it made sense in the moment. I imagine that Adam and Eve were in a panic because they'd find, they had gotten caught. And now the one the one that they wanted to have relationship with the most was looking for them. And they couldn't connect with him. And there were consequences to that. And the consequences are laid out for us in uh, verses 16 to 19. And in some ways, I, as I was reading through this, I had this sense that what God was doing, what Moses was doing when he wrote God's words out here, was he was actually not just saying what was going to happen, but what was already what already happened in that moment when they both consumed that forbidden fruit. It happened. It didn't happen after God showed up. It happened immediately. And what happened in that moment was that God said, these are the things that are going to happen because of what you did. Now, one one really important thing that I think... um, I have missed before, and I would encourage, if you've missed, if, if I'm the only one that's missed it, well then, you know, I'm up here and I'm talking, so you guys are just going to have to listen to me, but um, I've heard this explained as the curse. But when God speaks these words, there's only two things he curses. He curses the serpent, and he curses the ground. He does not curse humanity. And we have to be very, very careful that we do not read those verses as curses. They are consequences. And just like any of us, when we do things that are not okay, what do we suffer? Consequences. God is laying out the consequences for the man and the woman. And one of the biggest consequences that stuck out to me as I was reading this was one word, pain. He talks talks to the woman about pain in childbirth, and he uses the word pain when he talks about man's relationship with the ground and with work. These are going to be painful 
things, these are going to hurt you. And when I take a step back and I look at the bigger picture and I think, wow, no pain. Can any of us honestly say that in our lives we have never suffered pain? It's a part of our existence. Birth, pain, death. Common. And so as we look at this, we had four consequences. Separation from our true selves. Separation from one another. Separation from God. And then the last one is separation from creation. Separation from creation is the last one. And I, I was thinking about this in, in terms of even how is it that we are separated from God in that and I think because we don't necessarily live in a, in, a, uh, in a culture anymore where we live from the ground, we don't plant, most of us are not farmers, um, or uh, we don't garden to survive, but the majority of the world does. And when you watch the news and you listen to stories of flood and famine and disease we are reminded of the brokenness that we have, the separation that we have from creation. We are very far removed because we can go to Fred Meyer or Costco or whatever and maybe we don't feel it in the moment, but we sure do feel it in the pocketbook. We also feel it in the relationship that we have with our work and that Reality is that making money isn't easy. Surviving isn't easy. And that's part of the consequences of what we're looking at. So, I'm feeling depressed. I'm depressing myself. Let's get to the good news before I run out of time. All right. Fast forward a little bit here to verses 21 to 23. After God interacts with Adam and Eve, and I think about what the scene must have looked like. They've got these leaves, you know, sewn together. I have no idea how they figured out how to do that. And verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He dressed them. Now, if you remember back in chapter 2, 16 and 17, what God says to them is, If you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. You're going to die. And what happens is he comes upon them. They've done exactly what he told them to do. They violated the boundaries that he laid out for them. He gives them the consequences. And instead of killing them, he dresses them. 
Now, there is um, thought out there that they experienced a spiritual death and that there was a separation. Yes, absolutely. All of that is true. But the word that he used was, you will die. But the reality is, is that when he sent them out of the Garden of Eden, Adam lived for 900 plus years. If that is not showing the grace and the mercy of God, I don't know what is. In that moment, he said, you're going to have consequences, but you will still have a life. You will be separated from each other. You will be separated from me, but I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you the gift of I'm going to separate you out from the perfect place that you live, but you will live and you will continue to prosper in the limited ways that are available to you. And if you think about your own life right now, what are the ways that God What are the ways that Christ has given you time? Time to reconcile a relationship. Time to fix a wrong. Time to heal. Time to forgive. Time to better make something better or right. When we look at the big story and God in the midst of our story, we can get very focused on the consequences of our sin. But really what we need to focus on is the gift that we have been given. And for many of us, there are a lot of gifts But one of the biggest gifts that we are given is time. So as I close this morning, I want us to think about this. This is a passage out of Romans. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. In Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what we see is we see God acting as a friend. 
and saying, I'm going to give you, I'm removing you from this place as a consequence of your sin, but I'm going to give you the gift of time. And at the right time, I will bring reconciliation to you. And he has done that. So this morning, I'd like for you, as we move into to prayer, I would like for you to think about what is a way that God has given you time and what is it that it is the right time for you to find reconciliation with him? Is that in your relationship with him? Is that in relationship with yourself? Is that in relationship with another person? Or maybe it's in relationship with your work? Where is it that this is the right time for you to give Christ an opportunity? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you stayed your hand, that you have given us the gift of being able to come to you to find reconciliation, Lord, with you and with others, with this world, in and through the blood of your Son. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we would be open to the moving of your spirit to step into those places, Lord. To know that this is just the right time. And we thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.